me, I suggest that you get paper and pencil ready now. And as you listen, and as you listen carefully, write down. Write down. These important, these important instructions. And if there's any other real issue that one might come up with as a means to saying that God isn't reconciled to them or God isn't pursuing them or God isn't talking to them or God has turned his back on them, the thing about it is, is that it is finished. There is no reason now that we can't have full access to God in any unimaginative way possible because our imagination fails in comparison to the pursuit that God has for the reconciled creation that was brought forth of by the death of Jesus Christ. We need to bring peace to the darkness. Reap seeds that spring seasons of love in the heartless. Sympathy, Father, the Father, the safest system on top of this. Have faith to weep our prominence, my freedom for the optimist. When we start working from the position of the Spirit, when we start working with God, we no longer boast about the things that we do, but we humbly point people back to the person that works through us to do all these good things. Take the light to the dark. That's what we do. We overcome evil with good. And so creation is waiting for such a time as this. Creation is waiting for sons and daughters of God to rise up and manifest the kingdom on earth. So we are going to get into the Shema tonight. The Shema is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it is the basis for the greatest commandment ever. As Jesus was asked once, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And um, this is what's interesting about the Bible is, and my dad and I were talking about this actually last week, um, that it's Matthew quotes Jesus saying it, I think in Matthew 22, correct me if I'm wrong, saying heart, soul, and strength. But then Mark, the gospel writer Mark, who is copying basically the things that the apostle Peter is telling him. So it's Mark is more of a secondhand account because he's copying everything like a scribe. And there's a good chance that there were other New Testament books too that were not penned exactly by the author because scribes are very common in the first century. So Peter would have been dictated to Mark. And Peter wasn't a very educated guy anyways. So, um, but in Mark, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know why, that's, why that is the way that it is. Uh, it doesn't undermine what he says. Uh, it doesn't undermine the Bible or the truth of it. Um, but in a conversation I was having with somebody today who had some questions based on the other podcasts, uh, he and I had a Zoom meeting today for an hour. And um, out, out of it, um, because we were talking about, and we had more questions about what it means to be co-seated with Jesus. Um, so if I, really the reality of my identity is the fact that I am in heaven and on earth simultaneously. Um, in physics, it's called um, quantum non-locality. So for all you nerds out there, um, that means I can take a wood subatomic particle and have it in New York and have it split and put in California. And they do the exact same thing at the exact same time. Um, so quantum non-locality. So that means then that there is an enmeshment and entanglement of all things. 
because we're all made of subatomic particles that um, it is not then too far fetched for us to believe then that I am in heaven and on earth simultaneously because science. Um, but to live in that reality then that I am in Jesus, that I am um, living from a place of authority, instead of looking upwards in the hope that I can pull heaven down, I'm actually seated in the heavenly places looking to earth um, from a godly perspective. And then um, basically, uh, I don't have to, br- I, then I bring heaven with me to earth. I don't have to pull it down. I don't have to ask God to come. Um, you know, I don't, like, I don't have to ask God to invade this space because he already did that in Jesus. And I mean, it, it is not unpopular to hear teaching that I have to return to Jesus over and over and over again every time that I mess up and then ask for his forgiveness. That undermines so much of the New Testament. That was also something that we discussed in the call today um, with this guy. And basically what came out of it was, and I wrote this down, live in the tension of the paradox. So a paradox is two seemingly true things um, happening simultaneously that do not contradict each other. They, 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 in a way, contradict each other. I didn't give him anything. So, oh, that's why his eyes itch because we haven't given him any, any medicine. Parenting win right there. Sent him to bed without his meds. Yeah, that's a thing. So, um, yeah, so live in the tension of paradox because it's paradoxical to think that I'm here with you. Like, here's the other thing, like, we're in the same space right now, all 17 of us. We're connected through Zoom, but we're all in our individual spaces, but still brought together in one. So like, this is a manifestation of a spiritual truth. And so when it says like, and I, w- I because of all this, I actually went back and was reading in John uh, 16 and 17 um, about Jesus's prayer for oneness. And I mean, I'm not going to read it, but it's just, it's just John 17. Sorry, just John 17. I recommend that for your reading, but um, there's, just, there's, just, there's just so much goodness there about um, when I consider my life not to have to make sense. Because if I, if I needed to make sense, and I wrote this down too, faith over understanding, and we talked about this in a previous call, is if I have to understand, I think that lends to not only the tree of knowledge and good of evil. So like in the garden, Adam and Eve were told they could eat of any single tree, including the tree of life, but do not touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Whether or not they're actual trees or actual fruit doesn't matter. They partook in the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And then there was an awareness. There was something they all of a sudden, there must have been some sort of covering because what was ever lifted from them gave them the realization that they didn't have any, they weren't covered anymore. What their covering was, we could say it was light, um, and that is something else. But like, there was a realization that they were naked. Did they look like us, and then all of a sudden they realized they were naked? Unlikely, because there's a lot of inferences in Scripture that talk about coverings and things then that we set up as barriers between us and God. So what did Adam and Eve do? They realized they were naked, and the first thing they did was hide and find something to cover themselves. So that's what we do when we're stuck in self-justification, when we're stuck at the pattern after the world, and we're, we're, we're stuck in this idea of not living to our full portion or allotment. When something is lacking, then, you know, we, we in a sense, uh, we, we, we set up things between us and God because subconsciously, 
or consciously, we know that we're not God. So that was what was wrong with the law. And that's why it says in the New Testament, the, the law could never bring salvation. It could only bring death. So when, like for some of you, you know, you're still, you're still in this place where like, man, I see my sin all the time. Well, no freaking do you see your sin all the time. Stop identifying with it. Acknowledge that it's there, but know that like you are with Jesus. There's nothing separating you two. So you don't need to set up coverings of excuses um, and false humility to find, like, to try to be a holier person because you're already in Jesus. Okay. So that brings me then to like, if the greatest commandment, so we're worried about sin, right? We need to stop worrying about sin. And so an easy way to do that is to simplify what the law is. So in 1 John, it says, for those who are in the light, they no longer sin. So if I'm in Jesus, how can I still sin? How can I still have these thoughts? How can I still stumble? Well, because then if we take that word for sin is hamartia. So it's different than transgressions. It's different from punching somebody in the face versus actus accidentally bumping into somebody and knocking him over. Okay, one was a lack of awareness. The other one was intentional. Okay, so in hamartia, there's a lack of awareness. We're lacking form. We miss the mark. Um, so if I was in complete control over myself, I wouldn't have bumped into that person and knocked him over, right? Hamartia. Um, I decide that I'm angry and I punch them. Transgression, completely different word. Have we transgressed against God? Probably at some point. But thankfully in Jesus, he no longer looks at us in that way, just as much as like, I can't get offended every single time my kid transgresses against me. Like he doesn't know any better, right? And so then it just comes back to sin, like hamartia. So, um, even though I'm aware, and so I, I, in the light, I no longer sin because I'm no longer identifying with the old man. The old man was unaware. They were in the dark. They were covered, separated from God in my understanding. But because of Jesus, when I say yes to Jesus, I realize I now then step into salvation life, eternal life now. And so I no longer sin because sin has to do with identifying with the old man. So the old man is dead. doesn't matter how many times you shoot the, the, the dead man. The dead man is still dead. You can't get any more dead than dead. Dead is dead, right? There's a finality to dead. So anytime that you are, but what remains is the memory of what your old man would do. And this is what repent means in the Hebrew. So if you're taking notes, I, t um, I don't know if I told you that I would do this, but uh, I felt like I needed to. So we talked about uh, repent in the New Testament means to turn around, about face, go back to where you came. So in the Hebrew, a couple things that I want you guys to take with you today, because we talk a lot about Greek, haven't talked a lot about Hebrew. So I'm going to give you three resources to help you become Google, I mean, Hebrew novice studiers. So I want you to Google Hebrew alphabet and find images. And then you're going to use that um, when you're looking at blueletterbible.com. And then from there, you're going to get help interpreting what these letters mean. Because in the Hebrew, Hebrew um, is a dynamic language. I've mentioned this before. 
where in English we have letters, numbers, words, and pictures, but in the Hebrew letters and the Hebrew language, um, one thing represented all four of them. So, um, for instance, uh, the word hey is uh, means favor, uh, but it also so hey is a word. It is a letter. It is a number and picture. Okay. Um, I, I tell people that Hebrews um, created moving pictures before there were movies um, because each letter represents a picture. So when you put all the letters together into a word, you're actually creating a much longer sentence than the word um, because you're moving from one picture to another. And so there's like all these different scenes playing out in the Hebrew words. And this is where the text really starts to come alive and then you know then it's not just about learning the text because then the text points us to Jesus because Jesus in John 1.1 1, 1 is the manifested word. In the beginning was the word. He is the realized thought of God. Um, and so God spoke everything into existence. Um, it was all created uh, for Jesus and through Jesus. That's another scripture. I forget which one it was. Um, and you thought cursive was hard. Yes. So if you're writing all these things down, and then this is the last website for you, HebrewforChristians.com. Um, so Hebrew for Christians is probably uh, the more reliable public website that you can find based on my study of different concordances, um, verifying some of the stuff that Hebrew for Christians says. Um, so if you really want to, like... Uh, all of this, again, isn't for head knowledge so much as it is for um, um, our heart to move. And so in the Shema, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, heart is made up of only two Hebrew letters, and that is Lamed Bet Bet. And Lamed uh, in the Jewish uh, is means when you hear something and then you're stirred to action, okay, so uh, to love the Lord your God is a, a, a movement, because bet means son in Hebrew, aleph means um, father, bet means son, and gemel means Holy Spirit, so the Trinity, you don't need to write that down, um, but lamed, bet, bet means basically you're, you're moving into an emphasis of the son which is Jesus. So to love the Lord your God with all your heart means to um, act towards Jesus. Soul, I didn't get through all these pictures. I, as Sarah was saying, like, yes, I just, I didn't get to all the stuff that I wanted to get to um, in preparing for you guys. And so um, I gave you the resources then so you could do it yourself. So what you should do is, is you need to um, go to blueletterbible.com and you need to type in soul and get the hebrew letters according to the hebrew alphabet that you picked up and then you head over to hebrew um for christians.com or you can go into google and this is this is all i type in google so like if i want to look up um, in soul the letters slash words slash number six pictures are noon pay shin um so i would just type in hebrew word uh noon meaning. And by Googling Hebrew word noon meaning, um, one of my top hits is going to be HebrewForChristians.com. And then you just read it. And then you, and you take some notes. Um, 
Oh, Paul says there's an Afro blue letter, blue letter Bible. That's great. Um, so, um, so you will look that up then. Um, but more on repent, right? Because repent actually means um, to turn back around to where you came from. In the Hebrew, um, this is these are the letters. It's Yad. Hey, Dalet, hey, Mem. And um, in because Hebrew works from right to left, um, Yad is actually first, but moving. So if I Yad, hey. We talked about how God moves from finish towards uh, the beginning. And you're going to see this as you look this up, and I, and I hope that you do, is Yad is, means arm or hand of God's breath, divine nature, reaching back through the door, which is our understanding and awareness, to reconnect us to his spirit, reconnect us to the breath of his spirit. Okay. So Yod means arm or hand that of, if, of his divine nature, hey, or favor, reaching back through the door of our understanding to reveal his divine breath. So when I repent and I turn back to love, God is reaching through with his divine nature through the door of my heart. Okay, again, Jesus is standing at the door knocking, and if you hear it, open it, right? So to repent means to acknowledge then that I am turning back and God is reaching from the finish to where I am now to remind me of his divine breath. Because uh, we talked about this um, Pastor Mike talked about this. Pastor Ted talked about this. And they each gave a different description for God's name, right? So yad Hey vav Hey um, is what we translated in the English Bible in all caps, L-O-R-D. So when you see Lord in the Old Testament, that means yad Hey vav Hey. So yad Hey vav Hey. Um, sorry, Yad. Um, so if you look at that in repent, the first two letters are yad Hey. Okay? yad Hey, hey, so Jewish mysticism, it was the divine breath of God. So like the, the existence of God's nature is in our very breath. And when I repent, I'm basically returning to that place of oneness in God. So again, there is no longer separation or condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so then what are the greatest commandments then? Okay, so... You know, you still haven't talked about the greatest commandments yet. What are the greatest commandments? Well, in order to find the greatest commandments, uh, you can find those um, in Matthew 22, verse 37. No, yeah, Matthew 22, verse 37. Um, and then again, somewhere else. If you know it, I think my dad knows it. Um, John 13. I wrote these things down. And then, yeah, Matthew 23, 37. 
I really should just have written these down. No, not John 6. John 13, 34, it says, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, uh, if you have love for one another. So that's John 13, 34 through 35. Uh, but this is, this is oh, Luke 10, 27, good. And then again, it's in Mark, uh, the Shema. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Um, now, that doesn't mean if I don't do that, I'm still not, I'm not in Christ. It's, it's just like when I do that, I am saying yes to transformation in his spirit because he's wanting us to grow up in all things Jesus. And we can continue to put on coverings of self-condemnation, of guilt, of shame, uh, of anxiety, things I can't control, and the illusion of self-control. Or I can say yes to the transformational work of Jesus Christ. And it becomes the more, I, again, I, I think I said this last week, God is warring against anything that stands between you receiving his love, between you and him and you receiving his love. It's all about love. And this is what I think is interesting when he says in uh, John 13, 35, when he says, you love one another, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if all people don't know that we are Jesus' disciples, then is our love the way that, because again, we can't love, God loves us first. So unless we're receiving the infinite, eternal nature of God's love, then how are we supposed to love others with that same nature? And if we're, so I, I would say, I would submit to you then that because we haven't received love in its fullness, we're still walking out this, mixture of I have to do things to feel better about myself or to feel like I'm actually following after Jesus. But if the greatest commandment is love, and I know that is God who first loved us, then everything I should do should be about being loved by God. Again, We've skipped over the being part in order to do the doing because faith without works is dead. Well, if faith in what Jesus is saying is true, then what he's saying is, is that I represent all of love and that God is coming after you relentlessly to love you. I cannot say it enough. And this is why John, even on like, when he was getting carried to and from the temple on 78 AD or something like that, St. Jerome, one of the early church fathers, uh, said that the only thing that John, the apostle John was saying at the end of his life was, brothers and sisters, love one another. Like that's all he taught about. And again, this is not a love and a grace um, so, like is, you, you, aren't, you aren't saved through grace and love to sin to do whatever it is that you want, to be patterned after the world, to do all those things, um, but you are saved from it. So it is condemned in the flesh, so it is no longer a topic of concern for God. If you keep making a topic of concern, that's on you. God's still going to love you and try to love you in a way that you could stop doing that. 
Because again, you're worried about your actions. Stop worrying about your actions and just start saying yes to love. Love will take care of both. If you're trying to do the one before the other, then it'll never work. You're just going to be um, caught in this place of self-justification. doesn't mean you're not saved. doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. None of that stuff. Like you can let heaven outwork itself through you right now, or you can be patterned after the world and struggle to feel like God actually loves you. When if you just make peace with that in your mind, and this is what peace means. Um, this is what I love about peace, peace in the old Testament. So Shalom, you know, peace be with you. I um, mean, you have peace beyond your understanding. Um, this is, this is peace. So let me get this. Uh, some of you might be like, man, there's a prosperity gospel out there that we have to be aware of. Well, let me tell you that the prosperity gospel in a sense started in the old Testament. So this is what Shalom means. It means completeness, soundness of mind and body, welfare, safety, prosperity. Oh, how about that? Health, wellness, tranquility, and contentment. It is like the, I mean, (laughs) so many people are so caught up in like, I have to please God that they never find peace. I mean, I was there. I was there. Like the cry of my heart is to know joy. Like nobody likes grumpy grace. Okay. Grumpy grace. Grumpy grace makes you feel better when you're actually walking out grace, but joyful grace makes you look weird to people. Sup, Poppy. And that's good. It's it, it so like we we have we have to yeah it's we have to let peace overcome us to the point where it undermines our understanding and puts us back in a place of faith peace beyond your understanding that leads us to faith and in repentance then we are envisioning imagine when you repent of something that you're envisioning that is that God is reaching from his divine nature back through the door of your understanding in your mind with the, the nature of his divine breath. And man, if all, if, if you just become like this agent of love, you will overcome so much more than if you try to come at it from this place of, I have to do. And it sounds so simple, like, oh, be loved. But like, honestly, think about it. Think about your own insecurities that you put on as a covering to prevent you from having real, authentic relationships. I mean, how many of us, like, yeah. I I just, I didn't plan on saying half of that stuff, but I mean, I I mean, really, if you want anything in life, learn how to be loved because in that, like 
again, if God wants you to have God, God wants you to have peace. He doesn't want you to be anxious. He doesn't like, we have misunderstood the work out your salvation with fear and trembling verse. Like when you are in sin and self-justification and being patterned after the world, yes, you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But like God is warring against all things that prevent you from his love in your awareness and your consciousness and your mind. So the, the new commandments, love, it's in first John. Um, and I, and I want you to write these down. I'll put them in the chat here. First John two, seven through eight, three twenty three. And uh, first in first John here, he's actually writing to Gnostics. He's writing to people who thought that the flesh was evil um, as opposed to redeemed. Um, they, this, there's so much, this is much, much deeper study. If you could pick up some commentaries on first John, um, it'd be really good for you. Um, three through five. Um, so let's just go through these really quick. So first John chapter two, um, verse seven, dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have heard from the beginning. And that is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Now, what is that? He, he, like, he, he brings this up, and then he starts talking about loving his brother. Uh, but then he doesn't really get to it until what we read in uh, chapter 3, verse 23, when he says, now this is the command. So like he goes from... Uh, verse eight, I'm writing a new command and let me talk about all this other stuff until I get to chapter three, verse 23, that says, now this is the command that I referenced all of those paragraphs ago, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. So what is the command? Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. So in Hebrew culture, um, the heart they thought um, was the mind and the, the thinking part. So they, like what we understand to be mostly thinking happens here in the brain, uh, but actually about um, there is another thinking entity. So all of our senses are receivers that go to the brain or the stomach to interpret the information. The ancient people thought that your geographical center was your heart, your thinking space. Got it? But your heart and your thinking space is actually your stomach, and it's your stomach that can think. So when you feel moved for somebody, you feel like compassion for somebody, or you feel like, in a sense, like convicted, like whenever you're like, oh man, I really shouldn't have done that. That's not guilt, that's conviction, okay? Because we don't, we're no longer guilty in the, in Jesus, right? Like we're convicted by the spirit, um, in the sense of like, that's not who you are. I've talked about this in previous weeks. Um, and so then they would name people and that name was going to basically is a, was a prophetic declaration of what was happening before their birth and then what their life was going to be like after they were born and their name, your name followed you. So, 
to tell people 2000 years ago to believe in the name of Jesus Christ basically means like you are, you are, you are taking hold of and acting upon everything that Jesus said and did. And so if you're great, like, so what's, what's the greatest commandment? This is the command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. And then John chapter, first John chapter five, three, verse five, for this is what love for God is, is to keep his commands. Now his commands are not a burden because whatever has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Faith over understanding. Peace undermines the structure of our understanding and puts us back in a place of faith. And who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Like, I, I just, I mean, that's my hope for you, like, tonight. That's what tonight's session was about. Like, when it, when it means for me to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, and strength, really is to, is to live out of that place of faith and belief that he loves me. And he loves me because he loves me. Um, and where I'm at my personal journey is to be loved in such a way that like removes the coverings that I have put over myself. And then in a sense, lets the light out. Cause again, nobody takes a light and puts it under a bushel. Right. And so how many of us have taken God's love, hid it away and then just kind of kept it there, but never let it penetrate the rest of us. And once love starts to penetrate the rest of you, your being, then others will know that you are with Jesus because of the love that they've encountered because of you. So that's it. But I also gave you like way a lot of stuff to take with you. Um, so any questions? Yep. And again, light has to do with revelation. Um, so it just, it just comes back to, um, you know, encounter revelation and thinking differently. Um, it's all, it's all a big picture. Really. It is, this is this dynamic nature of, of reality that we have to believe in because it goes beyond our five senses. 